The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journey, stories, experience, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And today's show is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market with DB's patented hookup system. You're able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. And you know how important it is to have that right bag, right luggage when you're traveling at this time of year, especially. We're teaming up with DB to exclusively offer listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or go to the link on our show notes. DB, it's time to move on, time to get going. All right, guys, guys, radio, we have a great show for you today. We've got two guests, Dr. Amit Gazwami, he's a PhD, and Valentina Anasur, MD. We're going to talk about two books they wrote about the whole quantum area that Dr. Gazwami has focused on for many years. The new book is called The Quantum Brain. It's all about understanding, rewiring, and optimizing your brain. And we've also got another book we're going to talk about, Quantum Spirituality, The Pursuit of Wholeness. So we're getting into some deep stuff, and what I try to do on Guys Guys Radio is bring you guests who have great information, and maybe some things we haven't really thought about or haven't had the time to really dig into, I bring the guests here. They explain what they do and what their thoughts are and their philosophies are and their hypotheses are. And then it's up to you to decide what you want to do with that. I try to get them to break it down into bite-sized nuggets so we can all understand what they're talking about. In this case, you can get pretty deep. You can go down the rabbit hole with quantum physics quite a bit. But you know what? It's good to learn about the whole quantum thing and about quantum physics and how it applies to so many areas of our lives. So I really want to have Dr. Goswami back on the show. He's been on a few times uh, in the past few years, and he's got two really interesting books here. So I think you're going to enjoy him and also Dr. Valentina Anasor. Uh, going to coming up in a few minutes, but let's talk about what's going on. We're at the end of the summer. We're rounding the turn towards Labor Day now. It's September 1st. Wow. Has it gone quickly? And it's been a tumultuous summer with the whole raging COVID thing with the Delta variant and everything else. And then we've got this situation, a sad situation in Afghanistan. And you'd think like, geez, you would think you get the people out first and then you bring you get the military to leave, not the opposite. But this has been just a long, drawn-out failure in American diplomacy, if you will, and foreign policy for over the past 20 years that's involved four different presidents. So 
nobody's going to make a right, might move, um, the right move here, excuse me, until we're finally out of there and get every American out of there. And the execution on this hasn't been very well done. The concept of getting out is probably a good one because I don't know if we had a mission there to begin with. I think it started with we didn't want to have any more terrorist attacks planned, but you can plan an attack from anywhere. So it's just been a tricky, sad situation. It's eaten up trillions of dollars. So I think in the long run, we're better off out of there. What else has happened recently? Well, the Rolling Stones' Charlie Watts has passed. Just a tremendous talent. The real engine of the band. You know, he, the Rolling Stones, they will go down as as big as the Beatles. I would argue that they're even bigger because they've had to keep playing through all the different styles of music over the last 60 years. It's 59 and a half years now for them. And they've managed to stay somewhat relevant throughout and their concerts sell out every time, everywhere. So it's really amazing. The Beatles were incredible for their six or seven years that they were around, and their songs will live forever. And Ringo Starr, fabulous drummer, the perfect drummer for the Beatles. But in the same vein, Charlie Watts was the perfect drummer for the Rolling Stones because if you ever notice, the way Charlie Watts plays is he's like half a beat behind, and he really trails Keith Richards on the guitar. In most situations with rock bands, the drummer leads and the guitars follow. With the Rolling Stones, Keith Richards' guitar leads and then the drumming comes after it and it makes for a really unique sound and then the bass guitar comes after that. I, I've seen the Rolling Stones 19 times in concert. Charlie Watts will be missed. There's nobody like him. He was elegant. He was a gentleman. Everything I've read about him is a really cool guy and just he brought that swing into rock drumming so it wasn't just bam 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 it really had some nice sounds to it it was a great underpinning for the raucous type of band that the rolling stones is so we're going to miss we're going to miss him a lot in the future and their songs of course will live on just like the beatles songs live on and i hope they keep going for a bit see how they do their new drummer guy by the name of stanley jordan i believe or steve jordan he played with the keith richards band and i've seen him play and he's very, very good, but of course he plays a little bit different than Charlie Watts, so we'll see how it works out. All right, let's get into the interview portion of Guys Guys Radio. I'm so glad to be here today. I'm so glad you're with me. We've got Dr. Amit Goswami and Valentina Anasor. Let's get with it right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, it's my favorite portion of the show, and that is when I have my very special guests here, and I have a return guest and a guest of the guest, a partner that he works with. His name is Dr. Amit Gazwami, former professor of physics at the University of Oregon. In 1985, he discovered the solution to the quantum measurement problem and developed a science of experience explicating how consciousness splits into subject and object. I guess that's all about duality. I feel this or, or that, but we'll get into that. Dr. Gazwami developed a theory of reincarnation and integrated conventional and alternative medicine within the new quantum science of health. Among his other discoveries are the quantum theory of the creative process, the theory of quantum evolution, and the theory of quantum economics that extends Adam Smith's capitalism into a workable paradigm for the 21st century. 2009, Dr. Goswami started a movement called the Quantum Activism. And in 2018, he helped establish Quantum Activism Vishwalayman, an institution of transformative education based on quantum science and the primacy of consciousness. 
He's the author of Self-Aware Universe, Physics of the Soul, The Quantum Doctor, God is Not Dead, Quantum Creativity, The Everything Answer Book. Dr. Goswami was featured in the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know, as well as documentaries, Dalai Lama Renaissance, and The Quantum Activist. He's a sought-after lecturer, spiritual practitioner who calls himself, what else, but a quantum activist in search of wholeness. So Dr. Goswami is here, as well as Valentina Anasur, MD, and she's a practicing physician specializing in family medicine and integrating systems of alternative medicine, such as acupuncture and Ayurveda, into her practice. She's a pioneer of quantum integrative medicine, a senior yoga and meditative meditation teacher, and a universal consciousness ambassador. Throughout a system of quantum healing, she is inspiring people to achieve enhanced physical and spiritual health. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Doctors Amit Gaswami and Valentina Anasur. How are you? Good. Thank you. Wonderful. Happy that happy that you're here. Let's start with uh, the new book. It's called The Quantum Brain, and it's uh, it's really about understanding, rewiring, and optimizing your brain. How you can help tame your brain, rewire it, or rewire it, optimize it. You know, we're talking about all this quantum stuff and about what is quantum and a lot of folks out there, you know, you're not that familiar with it. You've heard the term, but you don't know how to put it to use in your day-to-day life to make your life better. And that's why I have Dr. Goswami and Dr. Anasur here. So let's start at the very beginning. What actually does quantum mean and why is it, why is quantumism, if you will, becoming so important now? Yes, there is a, a lot of misconception about the word quantum. It's the, the literal meaning is a, a discrete quantity, and that does not tell you very much. Yes, energy is a discrete quantity, just as matter consists of elementary particles. Energy also consists of discrete quantities called quantum. Okay, um, but this quanta or the quantum nature of both matter and energy um, uh, is where the surprise is. They are not objects like ordinary objects in space and time that we see. They begin as objects of possibility, to be precise, waves of possibility. And when we measure, then only these waves of possibility becomes the particles of actuality, and that's how the actual universe that we experience is manifest. So in effect, the quantum uh, theory is revolutionizing the Newtonian picture of the world. It's not matter moving in space and time, not that simple. Space and time is just one domain of reality. Beyond that, there is the domain of potentiality from which all our experience arise, not only material, but also mental, vital, even supramental intuitions. And this is the basis of a new science that is taking place. Uh, I have been instrumental in developing it. Uh, Valentina has now joined me and many others. Dupar Sheldrake has contributed, uh, Deepak Chopra. So uh, based on many people's contribution, we now have a solid alternative science, which integrates science and spirituality. So we applied it to the brain, we applied it to how spirituality should be engaged in, and this is what you see in those two books, the quantum brain and quantum spirituality. In both books, Valentina's role was absolutely instrumental. Uh, Not only she gave a medical point of view, 
but also uh, she has uh, she's young and therefore did a lot of legwork for me in research. Let me get back to the, the, the opening. You mentioned something in your bio about the quantum measurement problem. So my understanding, and I'll, I'll just take the role of the everyday person out there because that's what I am. I'm regular guy's guy. So let's say my foot is a size nine. I get that. So what is quantum measurement and, and what is the problem? It's just a name for a measurement. Any observation of, a, uh, of an object consists of a quantum measurement. I look at the, right now, I'm looking at the sky, that's a quantum measurement. Because the, before my looking, the uh, molecules that uh, constitute the sky, uh, they were not manifest. They were unmanifest potentialities. And then when I look, they become manifest. This causes confusion because the sky is there. Uh, yes, it is there so long as other people are there. It is always manifest more or less because on Earth, as you know, Earth rotates, so there is always somebody looking. That's not the point. The point is that we think we, our experience, is a continuous experience. It's not. We go into conscious experience, then we go into the unconscious. That's when we are also part of the domain of potentiality. We do not manifest in when the manifest experience of somebody else, until we do, there is no quantum measurement. And therefore, there is no manifest experience in somebody's consciousness. Okay. That's the concept. All right. And so, quantum physics is adamant about it. If the, is the moon there when you are look, not looking at it? No, the moon is not there when you are not looking at it, not in manifest form. But in unmanifest, it is there, of course. Okay, so how, how did you develop the science of explicating how consciousness splits into subject and object then? So what does this mean? Does consciousness create duality, which is different than it, unity consciousness? Yes, consciousness uh, creates a duality by a mechanism that we identified in the brain called tangled hierarchy. Uh, tangled hierarchy is a trap when consciousness tries to observe through the brain it gets caught into the trap. Okay. And it's a very beautiful arrangement. It's a, in a way, it's a bit illusory. It's like Escher's picture of drawing hand. Right hand is drawing the left, left hand is drawing right hand, but of course, uh, Escher is drawing them both. So consciousness is creating the brain at once with both the apparatuses called memory and perception. But the way it appears from the manifest reality is that they are creating each other. And that's what traps us into conscious self. So the brain acquires a self because of this quantum measurement that involves the brain. Without the brain, we cannot, we do not see. So if, if there is no separation, and I, I, these questions go for either of you. Uh, so Valentino, I'd love to hear from you also. Is there's no separation, is everything within. Right. There is no separation ultimately. In the unconscious, there is no separation. Yeah, but then you hear this term, uh, we are one. You see, everybody in the so-called spiritual schools, they say we are one. So all that oneness is not like that. You know? So we are not really one unless you actualize it. You call it actualizing that process. You know, In a relationship, for example, you know, we say we are one and we take for granted so many things. Yeah, You say we are one, because we are one, you know, at the level of the unconscious, right? 
And uh, we have all this potential indeed, but if you don't actualize that potential, we are not really in that oneness, you know? So that's something which has to be understood. Okay. And this depends on a, on a uh, very important process called correlation or entanglement. Unless we intend to correlate with each other, allow each other into our consciousness, uh, we uh, cannot be one. So oneness is a potentiality. There is a significant difference with old schools, which of course did not have the concept of potentiality, and therefore they could not have uh, given us the proper understanding. And this has caused a lot of misconception that spirituality is talking about something that's focus focus because we don't experience each other as one in manifest reality usually. Unless we love somebody, we don't even feel that I want to include this person in my reckoning. So, uh, you know, that is the confusion of ordinary people. Quantum science is clarifying all that. You have to correlate first, you have to develop a tangled hierarchical relationship before you feel the oneness. Okay, and that starts from the subtle level, you know? So when you say quantum, you refer to the subtle level and also to the power of transformation because usually you see the science, the materialistic science, uh, speaks of us as kind of robots, you know, without that power of transformation. So when you hear the word quantum, you go to the subtle and to the power of transformation, power to actualize that oneness, that potential that we have, you know, at all the levels. All right. This is Robert Manny, host of Guys Guys Radio. My very special guests are Dr. Amit Gazwami and Valentina Anasor, MDs. And we're talking about their new book, The Quantum Brain. And it's really fascinating stuff. And I'm doing my best to grasp all the concepts here. So let me throw a few more questions at you here. Tell us about the duality of self and its implications. Is, is separateness learned? Well, um, separateness is a natural consequence of how we manifest. So the separateness is as natural as the oneness. The oneness, okay. separateness hides the oneness so to speak. And in addition, there is a lot of conditioning that creates a state of consciousness. We call it the ego. There is a lot of centered around me, this one only, myself, and that creates further uh, sense of separateness. So this double whammy, first the separateness of oneness splitting into subject-object, and then further separateness arising from conditioning of the cells that arose from the quantum measurement into uh, the brain scientists have measured. It's a half a second of processing that goes on. We call it reflection in the mirror of memory. That's what produces this conditioned ego state, which is much more constricted. And then the separateness is unavoidable. We just uh, do not see it, do not feel it, do not, uh, are not able to think it without a proper uh, worldview. And this has caused all the confusion in, in history and right now. Does, does form follow the thought of it? Like, and if so, can you just press the stop button and halt the conditioned mind and then choose to create what you want? Does that make yeah. sense? You put a stop button on the conditioned mind that say no to conditioning. That's the opening. And that opening creates the intention that I want to find the one. And there is then the half a second gap. And that we call it pre-conscious. So you went to the pre-conscious. That's what meditation does. You surrender to the process. Surrender is let go of the me-centeredness. And uh, you wait. 
It's just a waiting game until you relax, unobstructively. You don't even uh, become aware of the precise moment when you relax. But in meditation, everybody relaxes eventually. And that relaxation is the sign that your consciousness has expanded. That expansion is the sign that sometime during the process, you fell into the quantum self. Of course, that's just an instant of experience that you didn't directly experience. But the relaxation is the telltale sign that, yes, you did encounter the quantum selves in the process of meditation. Yeah, but as you see, people don't really stop, you know? So because of the lack of mental hygiene and lack of attention, these are the first things, like we should learn about these things when we are three or four years old, you know? Because if not, once you get to this information processing, what you see what's happening nowadays, we are so addicted to computers, to the phones, you know? We, it's just not healthy, you know, at any level. And then you cannot really stop. So you are just destroying yourself, you know, in this way. You're, you're both experts in meditation. You meditate quite frequently, I assume. I have amped up my meditation practice. I do every morning, as soon as I wake up, I don't reach for the phone. I get up, I meditate for a half hour. It gets me off to my day to a really good start. What are your tips to everybody about uh, how to best meditate? How long have you been meditating and what have you gotten out of it? All right. So again, I want to emphasize that uh, mental hygiene thing, you know, because many people go, I mean, we emphasize in quantum yoga, we, we develop the system, which is called quantum yoga, which it doesn't contain only yoga practices, right? But it contains a lifestyle and even more, you know, so we refer to stages of transformation. But again, it's truly important to understand that mental hygiene requirement you know because we usually we forget about we kind of accumulate at the mental level a lot of uh, chaos a lot of stuff there which is garbage which we need to learn how to put that away and the, a very easy method to start with would be simply take 10 minutes for yourself as you said you wake up in the morning not jumping on your phone right so you simply wake up and breathe you know and then you sit by the back, you know, with the back straight and simply move all your attention to your breathing, you know, like kind of give yourself what you deserve. You, know? you start with yourself, not with your worries, not with your uh, problems. You know, you don't jump to the computer to see what are my next tasks, all that, you know, because you're wasting a lot, a lot. Like it's very important how you start your day, how you're ending your day. And of course, also what is in between. But at least in these two moments, it's very important to create that kind of um, gap where you are filling yourself with that presence and you get to that very easily by paying attention to breathing because breathing is happening only in the now. Breathing connects you to the body also, you know. We are so much in our brains, as you know, you know, in the minds, in this uh, monkey mind kind of. But when you connect yourself to the body, you know, and then you can even see what's happening in memory. You can scan yourself a little bit. But again, the simplest things to start with, it would be to just pay attention to your breathing Let's say for 10 minutes, relax consciously, you know, your shoulders, your belly, move your attention only to the breathing without influencing it at all. Yeah, in and out. And whenever mind comes in, you don't, don't fight with that because it's a monkey, it will just throw <laughs> things at you. So simply get back immediately to that witnessing of the breathing. And that even that will create something amazing. And after some time, you may even get into what I mean called like this touching a little bit the self-experience, you know as you're able to, to surrender to this process. So that would be a beginning, let's say. 
well, there's a lot to explain about the mechanism of meditation. And also, if you want to think of quantum healing, we didn't mention that now here, but um, learning how to meditate and how to bring yourself in a state of deep relaxation is essential also for quantum healing, you know, speaking about those leaps, you cannot get into that without that state of incubation. So learning to relax in the same time, learning how to focus is part of what we'll talk later about this do be, do be. So learning to be in that state, you know, kind of. When, when you're meditating and a lot of people I think run into this where they, uh, you know, the monkey mind keeps going and it's, uh, I call it kind of sorting laundry. A lot of times when people are meditating, they're not really getting to that, that, that really blank space that they want to get to. And so when I feel like I'm there, when I'm meditating, I will ask spirit, I'll say, what do I need to know today? And then I wait for an answer. And I have found over time that initially I was thinking I was talking to myself and telling myself what I wanted to hear. And now I feel that by just trusting the process that I'm getting the information that is being channeled to me from spirit, from the universal consciousness. How, how can people make that leap to go from doubting themselves and thinking that they're just talking to themselves to kind of knowing that they are getting information and that's helpful to them? Yeah, let me start with that. I mean, let me start because it refers to, again, you, so when, uh, you want to learn to meditate after you have a capacity of concentration, first of all. Yeah, So it's concentration meditation, then mm -hmm. this kind of concentration awareness that you're talking about. Uh, but then you start applying uh, the creative process. And again, they start with inspiration. That's why you need to start your day with something which is waking your heart, you know, a little bit. It's going, taking you to a state of expansion. And then you put your intent. So, and that intent, you know, that's a little bit of the trick, which you're not told in the movie, The Secret, actually, you know, how to get to the science of manifestation. Right. But you're putting that intent, which needs to be very pure. And it has to be that you really, really want that, you know. And the more that is intent with your dharma, with your archetype, you know, the better it has the chance to really take you far. And then you will get what this message is even in your dreams. But you need to work with that very consciously and perseverantly, you know. It's not just once. But then the more you align your life in this way with your dharma and the archetypes, the better the chances to really be in that flow and get all this message, all these synchronicities, which are signs that you're very close to, to where you need to be. It is a question of allowing the fact that we don't receive information only from the physical world as material stimulus that we sense, but we also receive direct messages from consciousness itself in the form of intuition. This is an experience which is extrasensory. It does not come from physical. It comes from consciousness directly. It's non-local. And we have to be a little sensitive. And this is why Valentina is emphasizing this mental cleansing, this uh, emotional cleansing that we need to do. So it, it, you know, even, even conventional scientists are recognizing it. They call it pruning the brain. Pruning the brain is exactly the process. The brain is the culprit. If we allow the uh, Newtonian brain to take over, the conditioned brain, then brain will throw at us all the garbage that is in our mind, that is in our unconscious, and we have uh, lost control. But if we are aware, like we discovered, if you relax, then what happens is that you are focusing your intention, just as Valentina said, and that intention brings about this sensitivity to intuition. 
they are coming always, but we are not sensitive to it. But when we relax, when we surrender, then we become sensitive and we can hear the voice that is coming from extrasensory dimension. Perfect. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, my special guests are Amit Gazwami and Valentina Anasors, PhD for Amit and MD for Valentina. We're talking about the new book, The Quantum Brain. This is the second book they've done together. Dr. Gazwami, you just mentioned the brain. So is the brain, what, how does the brain work? And is it, is it merely a processor or what is it actually? Yeah, brain is a, an instrument in which there's a lot of ready-made circuit. Um, you know, the universe is preparing us through a whole bunch of evolutionary process, 3.8 billion years. Um, uh, it was the same us that one cell uh, initially proliferated into life as we see it now, and now us with a brain with a tremendous amount of complexity. So there's a lot of conditioning, conditioned software, let's think in terms of brain being a computer. So the brain's physical stuff is the brain hardware, and then consciousness puts software in it. And software, using the software is through the intermediary of the mind and through the intermediary of our feelings. And uh, this part of the software is the universal software that we all are born with. This is the brain. So if you allow the brain and not interfere with your consciousness, as a child is capable of, but sociocultural conditioning is telling no, you have to grow up only this way. So the conditioning is reinforced. And then what happens is that the yes, child develops a personal software too, in addition to the universal common software. But that personal software by sociocultural conditioning becomes more or less the same as others, as you know. I mean, you grew up in the American culture and you had to shake, you had to shake off that <laughs> cultural conditioning, right? And, and so that is, the, that is the thing, no to saying no to conditioning. I have to realize that I have a Newtonian brain, conditioned brain with a lot of conditioned software that partly given to me and partly I built because of sociocultural conditioning. I didn't know any better. My parents didn't know any better. And now I will shake them because a new worldview has come. It is, it is telling us that there is a quantum brain beyond that Newtonian brain. I'll discover it and I'll take charge. That's the process. And then, of course, the process takes time. And this is where uh, Valentina's work comes in, quantum yoga. We have to do that. And, and um, you have to be patient. It starts with meditation, just as you did, just as I did, just as Valentina did. All of us started with meditation. Unless you slow down the brain, the brain uh, will not, cannot be controlled. So to get control over the brain is the primary objective initially. And once we slow down the brain by meditating, and this process takes roughly about two to three months, not very long, then we can uh, go deeper into the process and that's where things become interesting because now we will encounter our me-centeredness, the fact that we make every relationship transactional instead of what it could be, and things change. The world becomes re-enchanted once again. Uh, that enchantment is what we are missing, uh, but the, uh, as poets know, as Einstein knew, as uh, the great uh, spiritual teachers all knew, 
the world is not like that. It is underneath, very connected, very wonderful, uh, very consciousness expanding. And ordinary people just miss out because of this socio-cultural uh, overall uh, mesmerizing conditioning. You will find a lot of uh, information about the uh, neuroanatomy also, about the brain. So you'll find with the hardware they are described and also about the negative emotional brain circuits. You have to become aware of those. And then we describe very well in the book where they are located in the brain and what to do about that, what is with the base level human condition, because unless you see that, you cannot, you have to start from somewhere. You know, you cannot skip these things. That's what I'm saying. So uh, how does memory pl play a role in this? Because people are so driven by their memories and their uh, kind of agreements to uh, the definition of what things are and what they should be all about and, you know, make America great again and all that stuff about going back. And it seems like uh, people are very more and more resistant to change and opening up. How, 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 can, we, how can we kind of rewire our brains and, and manage our memories so they don't take over our ability to be present? Yeah, this is basic. Memory is what produces conditioning. On the other hand, memory is what makes us. So it's very tricky thing uh, to control memory. We don't want to eliminate them because they are what gives us intelligence, the ability of sorting out things. We have to depend on memory. However, you know, this is why Valentina from the beginning, you remember she's emphasizing this information processing. The memory is cluttered memory, cluttered for unnecessary things that does not help my intelligence. I have no need to know what the bra size of Jennifer Einstein is, right? That's absolutely no need for me. But well. that information <laughs> becomes a primary interest and similar uh, other information, that's what patterns up the brain, that's the mental hygiene. We have to <laughs> lessen that part, right? So this is why Valentina's work is so important, quite a yoga. It takes a lot of uh, time and effort to prune the brain of those unnecessary information. Tell us about the quantum yoga, Valentina. Again, it refers to two stages of transformation, as I said, and it refers to learning how to live in a, a state of expansion of consciousness, right? And uh, again, we start with that, with learning about all this quantum brain, about all the potential that we have, becoming aware of what is, again, I emphasize over and over, and you asked about um, the memory and going towards, uh, from information processing towards meaning processing. So again, that's what we do in quantum yoga. We emphasize a lot this part of the archetypes, you know, uh, and we speak about them. We have these nine major archetypes, truth, love, beauty, justice, abundance, power, goodness, wholeness, and the self. And uh, we talk about, even you asked in the beginning about the quantum spirituality book, also there we emphasize this. And uh, again, we think of the brain as the that having the capacity of making direct representations of the meaning that we think brain, mind, memory. But the brain again does not have the capacity to make direct representation of the archetypes that we intuit. So again, I just mentioned the archetypes. It's like higher thinking, higher feeling. Uh, it's kind of you can call them divine attributes. So again, it has to be something which is expanding you, which warms your heart, which allows you to feel expanded, which means that from the ego-constricted state of consciousness, which is like rigid, constricted, you feel very clearly when it's constricted and when you start to expand, you start feeling more free, you manifest more spontaneous eventually. Yeah? 
So again, we first make representations of the intuition experiences of the archetypes with thinking or feeling. And simultaneously, we follow up with representing them in our brain and body also. We are living our archetypal experiences. So this is really a beginning. So a lot about how to get into towards intuition, towards putting in practice the, the creative process with stages from wherever we are. And again, it implies not only what we know about yoga postures, but also from other traditions and stages, yes. You mentioned in the book, Dr. Goswami, uh, karma. What is the role of karma in uh, this narrative? Yeah, this is a major thing that neuroscientists are also uh, getting the hint. The clue is that uh, if we are all conditioned under the same sociocultural uh, environment, then why are people so different? They are different, actually. You know, you were different, basic. Otherwise, they would not be what you are today. I was different. Valentino was different. All of us is different. Some of us more different than others. This is the clue. Uh, this shows up in the brain because brain doesn't learn at the same rate or the same thing at all the same time. The education is tremendously flawed when we force all kids to learn at the same pace, to learn at the same things. They have to all be in the first grade, you learn this. Second grade, you learn this. And brain does not cooperate with that. <laughs> brain has a different agenda. Brain, um, for some people, the mathematical genius will express itself uh, much later. Uh, girls, for example, usually. And um, others, it will express much sooner. But if we force people who are not ready for math early in math, then of course they will not do so well. They will not be interested because they don't have the propensity. This is where karma comes in. So karma is how people have lived their previous lives. Usually, the again, so sociocultural conditioning dictates a lot, as you know, in the American culture or world all over. Uh, girls are not encouraged in mathematics, so naturally they will not have much mathematical propensity. So naturally, whatever little they have, they are going to manifest it later, not immediately, because they will not be interested immediately. And this shows up in the difference between boys and girls. Girls never recover, usually. This is why we see so very few girls interested in mathematics or science. But this is a tragedy. We are wasting 50% of our population in doing something that is very worthwhile to participate in. So not to do this is to learn about reincarnation, see that there is data, there always has been tremendous amount of data, and now there is an explanation. Quantum science is one of its biggest achievements is that it gives a complete explanation of reincarnation as the non-local memory propagation of things that we learn. Things that we learn are not stored in the brain alone, but stored in akasha, outside of space and time. That's a Sanskrit word. This concept was proposed thousands of years ago, and um, it was very difficult to afford it, to develop a science to show that it can be that way. And now we have the science and we have shown, yes, it is that way. Uh, indeed, um, the learned propensities 
the things that we learned to do, I learned that I was able to process in the scientific way. Those things become part of my non-local memory, memory that is available not only to me, but over space and time to my past incarnation and also will be future incarnation. Quantum spirituality. This is the first book you two wrote together. What does that mean? What is quantum spirituality? It's about the fact that um, science and spirituality have been split so for so much time, you know, and this split is really painful and you can see it reflected in our beings as well, you know. So the split between science and spirituality, all these other paradoxes, you know, which appear because of that, you know. It's kind of the science, you know, the science people which are into science, they are in a certain way. The people which are into spirituality, they are in another way. And both of them, they are thinking of the other as being uh, insignificant, right? And uh, the quantum science is really the bridge between these two. So that's why it's really, really essential. It's kind of uh, when we get to the point that both science and spirituality will start truly following and loving the truth as an archetype, you know? then again, this bridge can be there, you know? So that's the beauty and the necessity of these times to bring the quantum science in picture, okay? Quantum spirituality, so it's again, it's not developing another kind of science, you know? And another kind of spirituality as well, you know? So it's not out of the dogmas, which we find in both systems. In concrete terms, uh, what uh, Valentina is saying is that the spiritual traditions, because they could not understand the world, they denigrated the world. To understand the world, it takes science. Whereas the scientific tradition now cannot understand spirituality because science by necessity is partially, but only partially, um, uh, leads to a very focused, constricted consciousness. So most scientists suffer from a very, very constricted ego. They have never experienced themselves as part of the world like Einstein did or Newton did. And that is not an exaggeration. It is really the truth. I have been to many, many, many scientific conferences, always find this tremendous problem that they are very narrow-minded. You know, this is why uh, for a scientist it's so difficult to find a woman to date. Because what is that to date? They are only going to talk about their science, their work. <laughs> so, um, you know, this problem is a huge, huge problem, the, this uh, strict, uh, constricted consciousness. So scientists do not understand spirituality. Scientists do not understand consciousness because they experience consciousness as an object. And they really think that consciousness can be understood as an object, material being phenomena. And that causes enormous, enormous difficulties in overcoming that resistance. So, but I, you talk about expansion of consciousness. I don't experience it that way. And then they rationalize, you know, that's the other part of science, rational mind. And rationalization also closes us to, you know, where the openness is much easier to experience our heart, in our body, in our feelings. Where scientists, most scientists exclude those completely. They're super, super, super suppressor of emotions. So the double whammy, constricted mental and then constricted feeling, this kills them. Uh, and spiritual traditions had the same problem until recently because they too thought that the world has to be, world is the problem, world is illusory. 
So don't bother about the world at all. Not realizing that they themselves need to be supported by the world. We live in a community. That's the nature of the human being. You cannot just go to Himalaya and expect the rest of the world to go on uh, if everybody went to Himalaya. So it's not possible. But they completely ignored this. So what has happened is that very small fraction of people really went to spirituality. And the uh, uh, result has been this tremendous polarization of science and religion. And now we are finally bridging it. So that bridge is quantum spirituality. You mentioned in the book that spiritual traditions never mention creativity. Is there a special feature of quantum spirituality uh, that is creativity? Yeah, the spirituality is the basis, and this is why quantum yoga, uh, uh, quantum yoga can be explained very briefly as the traditional exercises with the new process, quantum process of creativity brought in, quantum process of intention making brought in, and that makes the spiritual process a much more practical process. Otherwise, what the spiritual process used to be, meditate, 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 without understanding what you are doing, produced a very uh, small amount of outcome. Only like very few people really got anywhere with just meditating without knowing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Their goal was only one thing, oneness. And that goal is... The whole idea, let me just add that. So the whole idea of conscious spirituality is to shift that traditional practice of too much emphasizes on the self archetype, you know, like you just go in a cave and you get to self-enlightenment and that's it. So on the self archetype, which, so it's kind of getting out of the world and ego. And instead, what we do, we focus on any of these archetypes, you know, preferably what is on your dharma, you know, your personal dharma, and then take the quantum leaps and make gradually that shift of character. Okay, so eventually it's, uh, we concentrate on the archetype of wholeness, what we call in quantum science, you know, it's kind of the path of Krishna, and um, which consists of integrating all the dichotomies, universal and archetypal. And we speak about asanas, of course, which balance creativity and conditioning, balance the male and female, outer inner balancing, yeah, so. Okay, you wrote a book, Dr. Goswami, God is not dead. Do you believe in God? <laughs> yes. But the God of my God is not the God of the popular imagination, a guy sitting on a throne in heaven. Um, no, uh, it's a God of oneness. So the question, the subtle question here is that, okay, how is God related to the oneness? Is oneness and God identical? Uh, that is where some debate comes in. For example, in Hindu tradition, uh, God and oneness are... Uh, one agrees that they're, they're kind of different. In, in, uh, in the, and the difference is that oneness is kind of um, aloof, whereas God is much more close to us. So spirit is the better name for God in this sense. Okay. Uh, we call it quantum self. That is the personal God that we have, God within. Uh, uh, a, a great philosopher named Dubo that God within, and that, that's a very good. Jesus differentiated it in a different way. God the Father, and then Holy Spirit. That's the God within. So that's where we concentrate as the God that we can call personal God. And that is much more valuable than God the Father. God the Father is the ultimate ground of being, agreed. We are all God the Father's children in that sense. 
But father, like all fathers, are aloof, you know. And God, this God within is the God, the mother, and that's a good thing. Valentina, what would you like to add to this? Totally, totally the same as Amit, and we are totally on the same page. And we discovered this in different traditions because we went that deep into study of the Hindu tradition as well the Tibetan tradition. So they all, and even the Christian tradition. I, I was born in the Christian tradition in this life, and uh, there's truly no contradiction there, you know. And it's again funny between the traditions how they can fight with each other and not get to this agreement. And for me, most of all, God is love, you know, and um, what to say, though, the point is that we need to learn that we can get close to what God is, you know, by, again, uh, assuming a life of responsibility and eventually, again, coming here to embody all these divine attributes, you know, all that we call archetypes, you know, that's how I see that we can come closer. You know? Beautiful. Okay. Dr. Amit Gazwami, PhD, Valentina Anasor, MD, the two books, Quantum Brain, Quantum Spirituality. Where can people find out more about you too, the work you're doing, your website, whatever you want to tell us? I think you can go to amitgosvami.org and uh, there you will see also information about uh, uh, last year's project, which we are very happy about, that we have a master and PhD program, which uh, now today, actually, we have the first batch of master students, which graduated, so we are very happy for that. Fantastic. And we move further with the PhD classes and everything. and we. Yeah, so we are blossoming in that way. Okay, I, I mean, want to I want to say thank you to both of you, and particularly Dr. Goswami. I want to tell everybody that when I uh, had a uh, uh, two robotic surgeries on my kidneys seven years ago, and afterwards I was mentioning an off offline to Dr. Goswami, and he said, "Oh, you need to uh, find out what's the cause of that. Kind of, you have to get your uh, check your insides kind of taken a look at and clean clean that up so it doesn't happen again." So he sent me to the New York uh, Innovative Medicine, uh, Dr. Schultz there. And I went there and I went through uh, Ayurvedic protocol. And uh, and since then, I've gone back and gotten MRIs and all that stuff. And after five years, they said, you're good to go. It looks like, you know, in your MRIs and all, like nothing ever happened and your functionality is better than it's ever been. And, uh, and here I am seven years later. So thank you, Dr. Goswami. I really appreciate it. I never forgot that. Thank you, Robert, for inviting us. It was a uh, great experience. I hope to see you again, and God bless you both, and keep doing the great quantum work. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, terrific and very interesting interview with Dr. Goswami and Anasur. What did we learn about the quantum brain and quantum spirituality? I think we learned that we can do some things to help rewire our brain. Most importantly, and the most practical thing I think that we all can do is begin to practice meditation. Um, even if it's just for a few minutes today, uh, a day, I've been doing it steadily every day for the past 10 months. It's made a huge difference in my outlook and how I how I manage and live each day. Before that, I had meditated intermittently and got a lot out of it, but now I'm getting so much more out of it. And I think in terms of rewiring the brain and really getting the best out of our brain, which is a processor after all, is a, a practice like meditation, which just slows everything down and gets all that chatter out of our head and gets all that busy talk that's so easy to overcome us with. So 
Two terrific guests, and I think they're uh, talking about things that could really be very helpful in our lives, and that is the whole understanding how to rewire, optimize your brain, and quantumness, really, which is uh, anything is possible. So thank you very much, Dr. Goswami and Anasur. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA here in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. The podcast and my YouTube post worldwide every Thursday. Guys Guys Radio also replays on KCAA here in Southern California every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. You can also catch me on my website, robertmanni.com. There you can read over 300 blog posts for free about everything from life, love, the pursuit of happiness, wellness, diet, fitness, relationships, money, career, family, etc. You can also download three free chapters to my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, which is a rom-com and it's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. Yet it is about something. It's not just two guys running around having sex in New York. It's really about friendship and redemption and revenge and and really an integrity and really doing the right thing. And I had a lot of fun writing the book and people get so much out of it and have been so supportive that I'm very, very appreciative. And I'm so glad that I stuck with it and, and wrote the book. And I think there's a book in everybody. So if you ever get that feeling like, hey, I could write a book, you know what? Just do it and just go through the process. And I promise you, it'll be something that really helps you out because it's just getting that stuff out of you instead of bottling it up and saying, I have something to say here. Go through the process, learn how to write. You'll trip, you'll, you'll stumble. But eventually you'll get there, and when you get to that last page and you type in the end, I promise you, tears will well up in your eyes because it's a job well done. Just writing that book and getting it out of you is very important. I had to do it twice. My first book, I didn't sell. I didn't get it published, but I did it. And then I knew, okay, here's what I did right. Here's things I need to work on. And I got to work on the Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, and off we went. And here we are with show number 478 of Guys Guys Radio, all part of the whole Guys Guys movement. So thank you so much to my guests. Thank you so, so, so much to my listeners. Thank you, Chris, my producer, Ryan, my strategic advisor. And thanks to everybody out there for supporting the whole Guys Guys movement. We're here to bring you the best guests with the best information to help improve your lives. Guys Guys Radio, I'm going to see you back here next week. And until then, like I always say, Guys, guys, finish first.